0: Welcome to Frameline, I'm Barbara Gosofsky, and as usual, I'm here with my favorite critic and co-host, Courtney Small.
1: Hello, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad.
0: Good. Okay, so Courtney and I have a number of films to talk about. Friday is a very busy day for re- new releases. And I guess we'll just start. And let's start with the film Seaberg. It's, like I said, opening on Friday. This one is opening in Toronto at the Carlton Cinema, and more cities and dates will follow. And Seaberg is inspired by real events. It's about the movie star Jean Seaberg. She was the star of Breathless, and she was also something of a new wave, French new wave darling in the 60s. And then in the late 60s, this is when this film takes place. She got romantically involved with the civil rights activist Hakeem Jamal, and he was involved with the Black Panthers. And so this is a film about the events that took place when the FBI decided to investigate her as a result of this relationship and her relationship with the Black Panthers in general. And the film stars Kristen Stewart, as Jean Seberg, and Anthony Mackie plays uh, Hakeem Jamal. And so for me, I thought it was, uh, I found it a bit disappointing. I I found it to be, because with that kind of material, I think it could be really something interesting. And uh, with the backdrop of her career, you know, in French cinema, and, you know, when she comes to, to Los Angeles to do some work and gets involved, in in politics in America. And it really had a lot of potential in terms of that and the way the story could have been told. But this is a fairly straightforward telling. It's everything is laid out. And unfortunately, there's a lot of things that are laid out. There's this the story of her. There's there's the story of Jamal. There's the story of the FBI. And FBI has stories and there's one particular person at the FBI and the film is trying to give us an insight into him. And what I found was while I was more interested in the Seberg Jamal story, the FBI kept breaking in and I found that it it created this sort of choppy result for me. And I found that the FBI part of the story, instead of being so intriguing um, and causing more tension, was actually simply interfering and you know, it was a letdown. It was dragging the film down. And there's so many cliches in the film, you know, especially in terms of the FBI and investigation. And there, it's, there's just too too much going on, and too many people to follow. And what, like I said, what I found the most compelling was the the, the story between Jamal and Seberg. Um, and I think it, they, something could have been more interesting if the structure wasn't so straightforward basically that's that's how I what I came away with.
1: yeah, I can see that I, I, I like the film more than you did, but I had similar issues as you to get the stuff I didn't like out of the way, I completely agree that the handling of the FBI story is, is very problematic and when they introduce Jack, who's uh, the FBI agent played by uh, Jack O'Connell he is this really sharp agent who has a gift for hearing, and he's like the sound guy where, the, with all the wiretapping, he can, you know, get voices out of really muffled things. And you think, okay, this might be interesting. They're setting him up to be a, an interesting villain, but then the problem is they want to show that the FBI's program and the way how it surveilled uh, the Black Panther movement, and the way how it essentially helped to destroy Seaberg's. Mental state, they want to show them as it being them being ruthless, but then at the same time, they want to show Jack as being the compassionate one like he, yeah, the
0: heart of gold guy, the yeah. heart
1: of gold. And that's where I think the film really stumbles because if they had just played it as the FBI is terrorizing her and they put Jack similar to Vince Vaughn's character, uh, whose uh, character name I'm forgetting at the moment, but. Vince Vaughn's character is more of the traditional villain and everyone else in the FBI agency is is pretty ruthless like they they want to play up the sensationalism of her of her affair. They really want to destroy her. They want to destroy the Black Panthers. They want to keep the status quo race-wise and to have this guy who is working for them doing all this stuff but then feels compassion for her and not really compassion about what they're doing to all the black lives that are being destroyed. Yes. It feels, feels very off. And I think it it really does hurt the film. Uh, What I did enjoy from it though, was the Seaburg Hakeem relationship, as you pointed out. And I also just really liked Kristen Stewart's performance in this. Like I felt that even though the material is kind of choppy at times, I was still kind of captivated by her and, when Seberg starts to, I guess, implode mentally, you know, mm-hmm. she she realized that someone is spying on her and leaking this information, but she doesn't quite know who. And the paranoia sits in, I found that aspect really well done, at least from her, her performance. I, I wish they had focused a little bit more on her interactions with the Panthers and just how the Panthers... Like, cause we even they even hint that even within the Panthers and the various civil rights groups, there was divide in terms of approach and how the Panthers were specifically using her for her money, while Hakeem was more of you know black power via activism in a in a positive way. So I felt yeah. like there was a little bit more that they could have delved into but i don't know i think the the performances are solid especially Kristen stewart i just it's it is a choppy film but i i did i did like it at the end of things i would say if you want a, a film about people whose lives are being ruined by the government and spying i would recommend people check out the lives of others even as a companion piece of how you can tell this type of story but even better
0: right but, right.
1: but for for what seberg is i i I still enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And I, I do admit there is a lot of problems to it.
0: A lot of good points that you raised there, especially in terms of the storytelling. And, and I, I wish, yeah, I wish there was much more focus on Hakeem Jamal and his relationship. As you say, you know, more in terms of uh, giving us perspective on the dynamics within the Black Panthers, because there are hints of it, you know, and he's trying to to even enlighten her, That things are not as as simple as she thinks they are, right? And I wish that, and that was interesting. So I wish that there would had been more of that as well. And I have to say that I'm not the biggest Kristen Stewart. uh, Something uh, I don't know why, (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I seem to be the only person on the planet that doesn't. I fully understand why people are so compelled by her. Um, but there are moments in here that despite, even despite that weird blindness that I have for her, there are moments when she's she's incredibly compelling and her performance is, is really drew me in. But I also have to give credit to Anthony Mackie. I really found that the, the screen just lit up every time. Those two were on screen together, you know?
1: Their relationship and their chemistry is palpable on screen. And I think for Christian Stewart, she is one of those actresses who, because of Twilight, skyrocketed to fame. And similar to Robert Pattinson. And I felt like they've spent the last decade really shedding that Twilight image and showing that they they've got chops and I don't know I just think of like clouds of Silmaria, personal shopper like she's I, I think she's just really talented and I think she's still fighting for the respect that we now give Robert Pattinson. Right. But that's just my my own opinion. But one thing I will say that I I, I liked and to to your point is the film at least does a good job of showing how clueless Seaberg was to the real extent of the civil rights movements. Cause she comes in expecting to use her fame. She wants to help. And she, she's just throwing money to everything and yeah. not realizing that there's severe consequences like the people who are fighting for civil rights are their lives are not only being threatened on a daily basis but you've got law enforcement you know they were spying on Martin Luther King Martin Luther King's house got bombed twice like there's yeah. there was a lot of real-life consequences and it's it's kind of interesting seeing seabird come in and just think how much money do you need 10,000 you know <laughs> write a check and think think it all is good like all is well with the world and I, I think that's also a subtle commentary on a lot of the, what I like to call Twitter activism, you know, yes, the, yes. The people who are quote unquote allies. Like, again, I hate that term, but, you know, they kind of jump in, they'll say a few things, but when push comes to shove, they're not actually really feeling any impact. Nothing actually.
0: There's no consequences.
1: Yeah, there's no consequence
0: there's no consequences for them and they don't see the consequences that other people yeah so i i did find that part interesting this is sort of a a little reenactment of this sort of typical white hero story where the white hero the white hero thinks they're going to come you know in and solve everything because they've got money or they they've got this and it's like this film you know hints at the fact that no that story doesn't actually work um Actually this I I don't know I just find this discussion you and I are having around the film more interesting than what's going on in the film. Okay. But I don't think it's a complete write off because I did you know I was interested in a lot of things that were happening on screen so
1: it does generate discussion and you know that's you know a good thing even for films that are are flawed.
0: Now speaking of flawed the Jesus rolls the film by John Tuturo which is sort of meant to be a companion piece, not follow-up, not sequel to The Big Lebowski, but is inspired by a character in The Big Lebowski. And John Turturro stars as Jesus, the Jesus. So in The Big Lebowski, the character has like two small scenes, and he's just basically this flamboyant Latin American uh, bowler that uh, the main characters in The Big Lebowski are you know in competition with and he does this this very interesting sort of shenanigans just in the film and grabs a lot of attention and he's he's a source of humor and stuff so Sean Turturro wants to make more of a story about Jesus Quintana, Jesus Quintana. And the film starts hours after he's released from prison. And so he, as soon as he comes out, his best friend is there, Petey, played by Bobby Cannavale. And then they, you know, they embark on this sort of freewheeling joyride Uh, You know, they petty crime and sexual misadventures and adventures. And along the way, they they get pick up another buddy, which is, you know, a woman named Marie in an interesting way that involves uh, that that features a a very interesting and funny performance by John Hamm as a hairstylist, a flamboyant hairstylist who's actually great and flamboyant. And Marie is his his hair washer, you see, like, there's a lot of detail in this film. Uh, it's playful and, and stuff, but I, I think I'm just going to, before I let you talk, Courtney, I'm just going to point out, like, where my problems started with the film. I just, it's not a huge problem, it's problem of of confusion. I think the film gives me very mixed messages and, and seems to be very confused in what it's trying to do. Um, and so I'm just going to, like, tell... of of something that happens at the beginning, which is, you know, he's in jail. At the very beginning, he's in jail. You hear the, you know, the guitar, the passionate Latin guitar music, uh, which you do hear in The Big Lebowski every time you see the character. Um, So here you hear it again, and suddenly as he's coming out of his jail cell, you see the Gypsy Kings, who are the, the people playing the song, and they're in the jail cell next to him, and then uh, you get this uh, explanation for one of the charges he, that uh, that was re- referred to in The Big Lebowski, uh, which would make him an unsympathetic character. But in this case, there's this sort of like flashback and explanation of how he didn't actually do that crime. So... On the one sense, you've got this no attempt at reality, this playful thing with the Gypsy Kings in jail. And then on another, right immediately after, you have something that's quite serious and seems like it's trying to build your sympathy to this character. And then all hell breaks loose. So this is the thing that I'm just not completely... I'm not completely on board with the film because it's got this sort of mixed up atmosphere, mixed up tone.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that assessment. And uh, did you see Going Places, the
0: 1974 film by yeah. Bertrand?
1: Blier, Yes. So that's what this film is based on. And I watched The Jesus Rolls first and then followed up by watching Going Places because it's, it's available on Canopy to stream. And I still can't figure out why he chose that film to remake because this film is it's almost like a beat-for-beat beat remake. Some scenes are almost shot-for-shot, shot, mm-hmm, but yeah. in that film, Gerard Depardieu plays essentially the Jesus Quintana character, but he and his pal, sidekick, what have you, they're really despicable people. You know, they, they do a lot of the same quirky adventures where they um, steal from, like, the hairdresser and steal from farmers. But then they, they also antagonize and sexually harass women. Like, their, their libidos are always at 100 and in that film, there's there's scenes where they're literally following a woman to her apartment door, and she knows she's being followed and being terrorized. And at one point, they even like grope her. And they to them, that's just big laughs. And Jesus rolls. He keeps the fact that the the libidos are high. There's all this talk of sex, sexual tension, sexual comedy. But then he tries to soften them and make them kind of goofballs.
0: Goofballs in some cases, yes. But in other cases, he he also tries to throw in a sweet side. Exactly. To Jesus. And it's like, well, you can't do that. Especially because he's behaving despicably. Now he's sweet. Now he's like, what are you going for?
1: They're trying to be lovable, sweet one minute. But then they still, at times, use and discard women. Audrey Tattoo's character just like in the original it, her, Marie is essentially there as a partner at one point then she's a woman that they try to satisfy then they abandon her on several occasions and then they pick her up again like you know there's this weird thing and then she becomes this tool that they share with others like there's a lot of weird mixed messages that go on and then at the same time they want to be seen as sweet tender people like you've you've got that great moment with Susan Sarandon's Jean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Where
1: it's, you know, it's it's quirky, it's kind of touching, it's really well done, and then something happens and it goes back to kind of screwball comedy again. And it doesn't quite work because I feel like in the original, the tone is a little more serious. So mm-hmm. as much as it's still a comedy, they don't try and make the guys lovable. They're just, they just are who they are. They You would think that they might be in like a Clockwork Orange, for example, before yeah. Alex yeah, yeah. gets... His conditioning, whereas here they never want to go that far, which puts it in such a weird place. Like there are some genuinely great moments in the, in this film, um, yes, m- I agree. moments that I laughed at, you know, some inspired casting, and then there's other times when you just shake your head and, and go, I don't, I don't know what they are trying to do with this film.
0: Yeah, but you know what? Let me let me run this by you. Um, in the in Going Places, they were younger men. It, it, granted it was also this film was done you know a number of years ago where you could get away with this more sexist kind of stuff right but the difference also is that they're much younger men so they're not you know not as mature and so if if you're gonna do this kind of hijinks this of questionable uh, judgment and morality right Younger men or younger people at least have tended to get away with more, right? And it made more sense because they were just making bad choices. In this case, these men are older. So that's also part of the confusion, is that that was part of the reason why certain things just really got awkward instead of funny
1: for me. Yeah, they should, they, sh- and they should know better exactly for for a lot of a lot of the stuff that they do and i don't know it's it's just such a odd film especially when you're taking a a character who is so iconic even though he's on the screen for what maybe 10 minutes in the big lebowski
0: i don't even you no know, i rewatched the big lebowski and he, he it's not even 10 minutes he made such an impact in the span of like a minute here and a minute there it, like i didn't time it but it went by so quickly and yet we all remember him, right? Yep. And we all remember him so distinctly that it seems like he at least had ten minutes. And that's not the case. And even even Tatura's performance in this, I understand the character's older and stuff, but having watched one and then the other, the accent was even like was dulled in this one. And the whole, you know, he's known for this certain way he treats the ball in The Big Lebowski with his tongue. Even that, not as much flourish. The whole character has much less flourish in this film than he does when we originally are introduced to him. So that was a bit off-putting.
1: And I felt that they could have easily created a whole new story for him instead of just remaking another film like you know you, you pluck them from one film to throw them in another film and it doesn't work like as you said there's you know a, a particular reveal that quashes a rumor that's prevalent in the big lebowski at the beginning of this film it's like you could have played with that so much more like you there's yeah. so many different ways that they could have taken this film even if you want to keep going places as a inspiration but the way how they're so loyal to going places Just seems so out of touch with what the Coen brothers do. Like when the Coen brothers create and when they adapt, they put their own unique spin on it. Whereas this one, I didn't feel there was a unique spin. I just felt he was literally trying to do someone else's work but just soften the more rougher edges, which again, in 2020, you got to bring a little more context if you're going to try and pull this off. You can't just have older men who are poor horny running around and then think, Well it's okay, (laughs) you know, like you've gotta like even the forty year old Virgin added a little content, a little sweetness. Like you've got to put something unique on it, whereas you literally pluck something that worked in the '70s, but even in the seven, 1974, it was still controversial.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you
1: Absolutely. just try
0: and <laughs> yeah,
1: and you try and soften it, especially in the Me Too era. Like I just, I still don't understand the reasoning. I mean, maybe no. he he loves the film, that's fine, but I, it's just such an odd choice, and then not to to bring anything new to it is just just baffling.
0: Yeah but even if people haven't seen or aren't going to see going places before they see this film it's still going to be baffling just in the sense that yeah there are just things that just don't ring they're not they they don't they don't land and they seem as you said in the, in the era of 2020 and and these mature men they it just doesn't sync up right and with regard to the coen brothers they you know they they have a certain characteristic wit and this film you know it could it makes you laugh it's quirky, but it's not witty. So, so, okay, so let me tell you about a film that mixes a lot of things together and has a really interesting result. It's it's, um, The Disappearance at Clifton Hill, and yes, opening Friday, directed by Canadian Albert Shin. He's uh, known for his first feature film. He's known as a producer, but he's also known for his first feature film, uh, In Her Place, which uh, was very impressive. And, uh, you know, a lot of people... He got a lot of attention for that film. So he's back with a completely different film. This is a mystery. That was more of a meditative film. But I I would say that Get Ready, even though this is a mystery film that has a lot of of different kinds of elements in it, he has this sort of understated style, which is good and bad. And I'll I'll explain that right now. So before I do, uh, this film, Disappearance at Clifton Hill, the Canadian Screen Awards are coming up and this film has 4 nominations. So, this is a mystery film and it's about a woman named Abby who comes home and home is Niagara Falls. So, it's a really interesting setting. She returns home following the death of her mother and she and her sister uh are have inherited this motel at Niagara Falls that her mother owned and and they're arguing about whether to sell it, and Abby's really hanging on to it. But she's also hanging on to these memories, um, and we see a glimpse of this at the beginning of the film. This sort of incident that ha- happens about 25 years before Abby comes home. This this incident that takes place that it becomes integral to the plot, and it's a mystery that Abby, while she's now in pre- in the present day of the film, when she, she arrives home, she starts to, to remember and become obsessed with this mystery of a kidnapping that she witnessed as a child. And the problem is that Abby has this history of not always being quite truthful, so her sister doesn't believe it. And there are things that come out about Abby herself that really make us question what she's seeing, what she's experiencing, even though we've had this glimpse into that past experience, right? And so the whole thing it it really, really looks noirish, especially at the beginning, like a film noir, you know, and the Niagara Falls setting, Albert Shin really uses it beautifully to set up these this kind of mood. It's a very, very moody film. It starts to get weirder in good ways and in bad ways. And when I was talking about shin's understated style it starts to become kind of difficult for the actors i think Because I mean, some of the dialogue isn't isn't great so like there's some uneven performances and some uneven dialogue that were the most problematic thing for me otherwise if you can get past that in a bit of like a shaky start the film really takes off and the ending what albert shin does is he mixes all these kind of different elements of different genres together and makes this like fascinating ending.
1: So it's a satisfying mystery then?
0: Yeah, in a weird way, like in an unsettling way. Like part of me is thinking, no, like that doesn't make any sense. And then part of me is like, yeah, but according to the logic of noir, thriller and horror, if you're going to mix them together, yeah, yeah, it actually does. So yeah, that's Disappearance at Clifton L. And that's a film by the latest film by Albert Shin, opening Friday.
1: Yeah, I look forward to seeing that.
0: So, what have you got for us?
1: Quick DVD reviews. Now that the Academy Awards are done, a few of the Oscar titles are now hitting DVD. And one that recently came out was Ford vs. Ferrari. The film starring Matt Damon and Christian Bale and... It's about the famous 24-hour Le Mans race event where the Ford motor car took on Ferrari's car to see who who had the, the fastest car. And at that time, Ferrari was dominating the racing world and the American company was not seen as even, you know, to be spoken in the same breath as a Ferrari. So this film is directed by James Mangold and it's a really exciting Film really fast, place kind of crowd pleaser, and you have Matt Damon playing the car designer Carroll Shelby, and Christian Bale as the British-born um, race driver Ken Miles, and it shows on how these, how they work together, and they kind of grow a mutual respect and friendship as they're trying to build this car to. Take on the Ferrari Corporation And while they're doing that They're also encountering a lot of Pushback from the Ford Company They want their own driver they, they want specific things And it's just one of those tales of how Sometimes you have to overcome Even those that are suppo- supposedly In your corner to rise up and show what you what you really have and the, the race car scenes are, are pretty thrilling regardless of whether or not you're into car racing or a car person it's just a, a really exciting and entertaining film. There's some interesting twists that occur that I won't delve into but it's just really well done film and the DVD has a lot of extras on it um, there's obviously the, the cast and crew mini docs where they talk a bit about the real life characters that they were portraying and how they brought this world to life and then there was also some really fascinating featurettes about how they built a lot of the cars and how they had to you know even try and get like the the dust patterns on a car what a car would look like if it was racing in that particular time and just a lot of stuff about the set design and production i thought was really fascinating and again i'm not a big car person even though i'm a huge fan of the fast and furious films but i found it fascinating to to hear about the little details about the cars and the type of weights and things like that. So it's definitely a DVD I would recommend picking up because A, the movie itself is is really solid and then the the additional content is is well worth it.
0: Wow, I love the fact that they went into such detail because, you know, as you said, even if you're not a, a car fanatic, that kind of detail can be really interesting because it shows you the extent to which films uh, try to recreate things or have to recreate things for the sake of, you know, the authenticity of the the image, you know, even just how, how the cars look in the race, right?
1: Yeah, and they also had to, I think at one point they built a, a recreation of the the first Ford assembly line. Yeah, little, because little it was details so like good, that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. so, it was so effective. He had such an effective uh, way of doing it that everybody copied because that was the way to do it, right?
1: Yeah, it's an exciting film. And again, the performances are, are good. Like Christian Bale is is really good as the the um, cocky, arrogant driver who doesn't really want to listen to the corporate people because he thinks that they're wrong, which of course they are, but still, <laughs> he you know. And, and Matt Damon's the guy who has to try and toe the line between wanting to achieve this goal and also having to deal with people who have more power above him trying to throw him off at every at every turn
0: well that's it for frame line for this week right
1: yeah there's plenty plenty to see and you know some films that will have you debating issues and others that will have you questioning what were they thinking
0: (laughs) but in the end it's all fun right of course (laughs) okay well thanks everyone for listening catch you next time